You're listening to Commute, the podcast. Congratulations, you'll be smarter when you get there. What up? Welcome into Commute, the podcast. I'm Dave. And I'm Jay. And we are about to take you on a deep dive on three topics that we find interesting, and we're betting that you might just find them interesting, too. We can promise you this, you'll be smarter when you get there. On this edition of Commute, we take it for granted now, but 50 years ago, the first cell phone call ever was placed, and the world has never been the same. How did a string of seemingly random and unconnected murders in 1982 affect the packaging of everything you buy at the pharmacy today? We'll discuss the fascinating and terrifying case of the Tylenol murders. Some of us use things like 17HG8F exclamation mark NR5, while others of us prefer things like, I don't know, password? The world of online hackers has become more sophisticated than ever, yet our password habits have not. All of that on this edition of Commute. Let's get it. Jay, I'll admit this is the kind of thing that starts to put me in old guy territory. But I was having a really fascinating conversation the other day that I, I think you can appreciate. So we were talking about the differences in growing up now versus growing up when you and I did in the early 1990s. And it doesn't take long for that conversation to lead into the end of the home phone. Like if you're, I don't know, under 25 years old, you probably don't recall a time when you had an actual phone that stayed in your house. Home phones could be corded into the wall, or if you were rich, maybe they were cordless. But before cell phones, the home phone was how you called somebody. Mind-blowing today, I know. But like if someone wasn't home and you wanted to try to talk to them, you left a message on their home phone that their whole family could listen to, or you just called back later. And Jay, the craziest part is, if you were dating somebody as a kid, your life was chaos. So like as a kid, I'd have to call my girlfriend's house. 99% of the time, her dad would answer. I'd have to ask him if she was home. She wouldn't be. He would say, well, you just call her later. Like he wouldn't tell her to call me. I'd have to call him just a level of awfulness that today's youth will not understand. Now, I'm sure you never had this issue because you <laughs> hey, didn't hey, really now. have a girlfriend. <laughs> hey, it didn't mean I didn't try, okay? <laughs> hey, you were calling. They just weren't answering, man. There's The kids of today never will understand what it was like to be a 13-year-old boy and like call your you know a girl's house that you're interested even in your friends and then like even your friends yeah and then like her dad or somebody answer the phone who's this <laughs> something like that like you, you <laughs> today's youth would just hang up they wouldn't be able to handle that kind of pressure one of my favorite ones ever was i called uh my girlfriend when i was like 14 15 i called her house and her dad answered and i said is so so and so there and he said ah hold on uh i think she's in the bathroom I'm not sure if she's going to be quick or long, if you know what I mean. So maybe just call back later. So basically, he insinuated like she could have been pooping. (laughs) (laughs) Just (laughs) mortifying. (laughs) But Jay, this month, April 2023, marked 50 years since the invention that totally changed the world, the cell phone. 
In fact, it was April 3rd, 1973, that engineer Martin Cooper made the world's first cell phone call. And while we take cell phones for granted today, in fact, there are more cell phones than people on Earth, 50 years ago, they had only been something from science fiction-based novels, a future that we thought could happen. And their arrival began the journey of completely transforming the way we keep in touch with each other. And Jay Wall Cooper, who worked for Motorola and is credited with developing the modern cell phone, may be viewed as the inventor the device's history began much earlier. Whoever was first, there's always somebody who was more first. Hal Wallace, curator at the National Museum of American History, told Smithsonian Magazine. And Jay, Hal is right. The idea of cell phones is typically traced back to the battlefields of World War II, where soldiers used short-range radios to relay messages about trench conditions. Those radios led to transistor radios. And transistor radios led to the first fully mobile phone offering, the car phone. Originally weighing, get this, over 80 pounds. Imagine that, a a phone that weighed (laughs) 80 pounds. And only working in major U.S. cities, car phones opened the eyes and ears of many folks to what was possible. So in the 1960s, when AT&T announced its plans to make car phones smaller, lighter, and available to the masses... Cooper actually went in a different direction. We believed people didn't want to talk to cars and that people wanted to talk to other people, Cooper told the BBC in 2003. The only way we at Motorola, this little company at the time, could prove this to the world was to actually show we could build a cellular telephone, a personal telephone. And so the first cell phone emerged. Originally weighing two and a half pounds and requiring a 10-hour charge, For just 35 minutes of conversation, the cell phone wouldn't be in a place to be commercially available for consumers until the mid-1980s. And Jay, if you think your iPhone that you use today was expensive, the first commercial cell phone was $3,500, or nearly $11,000 in today's money due to inflation. (laughs) Well, I imagine it was probably so big, too, it wasn't even, like... (laughs) convenient in any way at all <laughs> i mean two and a half pounds doesn't sound that heavy that's that's pretty when it's heavy. in your, that when it, your ear when it's in your pocket yeah it's yeah, it shows you just how weak your forearms are <laughs> by 1990 though over 1 million americans had cell phones and today over 97 percent of the american population owns at least one cell phone And Jay, to end where we began, 50 years after the invention of the cell phone, the home phone has definitely changed, but not exactly become extinct yet, believe it or not. In 2004, over 90% of U.S. households reported having a home phone. The number today, right around 30%, which is still kind of surprisingly high. Are your parents uh, still home phone users? They are not, but both grandparents are. The house that I grew up in still has a home phone. I mean, it doesn't get much use. I don't think it's mostly just telemarketers all the time, but there is still one there. And I mean, the youth of today, too, like just in the same way, they wouldn't have been able to cold call someone's house that they had a crush on. You also got to remember, Dave, what it was like to accidentally send a text message or accidentally click on the Internet button on your earliest cell phone and then panic, try to close it out because you thought your parents were about to get charged a million dollars by your cell phone provider. You know, today we send thousands of texts a day, so it's like not a big deal. But back then it was uh, it was different. 
We sound like the oldest people on the planet right now, <laughs> by the way. So, Dave, it's been established on this podcast before, so we're not exactly breaking new ground here. But you hate unsolved cases, particularly like unsolved murders. I cannot stand them. Uh, I would rather really watch anything else. I don't want to watch something that doesn't have an <laughs> ending. Like most unsolved murders, they're just speculating. They're throwing around all these things that could have happened. Just tie it up. Don't report on it until you figured <laughs> it out. That's why you report on it. Like, what if it, there's a breakthrough? You know, like on Unsolved Mysteries at the end, they're like, Unsolved Mysteries has solved 300 cases or whatever. You know, like that's why. Have they? Yeah. Yeah, well, I'll wait for them to be solved, and then you can <laughs> you tell me You could be it. the one that solves it. That's the appeal. That's why people like to watch it. Think how much energy that would take <laughs> to try to solve an unsolved murder. Like, if you have anything else going on, <laughs> then it's just, it's a hopeless. There's no way. If you even have one friend, you don't have time to try to solve an unsolved Well, Dave, murder. we're going to talk about one of the most famous... Uh... If you have a pet <laughs> that you like spending time with, you don't have time. Well, Dave, we are going to talk about one of the most famous uh, unsolved murders or string of murders in the United States and one that has surprisingly kind of affected the world around us today, whether you realize it or not. Uh, We'll be exploring what has been dubbed the Tylenol murders. Have you ever heard of the Tylenol murders before? No. I had not either, and then I fell down a gigantic rabbit hole, and here we are. (laughs) So, Well, Dave, uh, on September 29th, 1982... Seven people in the Chicago area died after taking extra-strength Tylenol capsules that had actually been laced with cyanide. The victims ranged in age from 12 to 35, but what was interesting is that they had no apparent connections to each other or to the person or persons responsible for the poisoning. This case sparked this nationwide panic, and the pharmaceutical industry was forever changed. So in this segment, we're going to explore the events of those murders and why the case is interesting, but also how has it impacted our world today? So let's go back and let's start at the murders. So on September 29th, 1982, Mary Kellerman, a 12-year-old girl from Elk Grove Village, Illinois, died after taking extra-strength Tylenol for a headache. That same day, Adam Janus of Arlington Heights, Illinois, died after taking Tylenol for chest pain. His brother Stanley and his wife Teresa also took Tylenol and died shortly after. And then Mary Weiner of Winfield, Illinois, and Paula Prince of Chicago also died after taking Tylenol. So after the deaths were reported and the connection was made, Johnson & Johnson, the manufacturer of Tylenol, immediately issued a nationwide recall of all Tylenol products. The company also offered a $100,000 reward for any information, leading to the arrest and conviction of the person or persons responsible for the murders. Despite a massive investigation that eventually involved the FBI, the case remains unsolved. However, it is believed that the poisonings were the work of an unknown person or group of people who tampered with the Tylenol capsules after they had left the factory. So solving this case has kind of hit a standstill for a lot of reasons. One reason is just the sheer randomness of these attacks. These victims had no apparent connections to each other other than that they all took Tylenol. This has led to all kinds of speculation about the killer's motive and whether they had a specific target in mind or were simply trying to cause widespread panic. And even as recently as this year, Dave, authorities are still running DNA evidence to try to eliminate 
its suspects through family match DNA and trying to actively solve the murders. But another reason this case has impacted our world today in some pretty big ways is how it has impacted the pharmaceutical industry. In the wake of these Tylenol murders, manufacturers were forced to take steps to improve the safety and the security of their products. The use of tamper-evident packaging became widespread, and the FDA established guidelines for the packaging and labeling of over-the-counter drugs. Before the murders, these kind of tamper uh, seals that were on pharmaceutical drugs, even as like Tylenol, uh, were not on there. You just bought one and you opened it up. But now, I mean, everybody's familiar with having to peel back that extra layer. That really came as a result of these murders. So Dave, these Tylenol murders, they remain one of the most fascinating and infamous cases in American history. The randomness of the attacks and then the impact that they eventually had on the pharmaceutical industry. While, uh, while the killers have never been caught, the legacy of the Tylenol murders live on and the many changes that were made uh, to ensure the safety and the security of consumer products today. So wait, you're really going to talk about an unsolved mystery on this show. I am. It was kind of a power play a little bit. I grabbed a segment and made it an unsolved murder segment to try to like claim a little bit of the show for myself. Touche. (laughs) Touche. Jade, to me, one of the most incredible evolutions in tech is that we now have the ability to do everything from unlocking our phones to logging into our bank accounts by simply using facial recognition. Because you see, Jay, while I don't consider myself a lazy person at all, like, I mean, I run four miles per day for crying out loud, what more do you people want from me? I absolutely loathe putting in passwords. And the more complicated the password, the more annoying it is. So because of that, I use variations of the same word, like for everything. So how about you, Jay? Are you like me, or do you have different complicated passwords for everything? No, I have two passwords. One I made in seventh grade, and I use that one still to this day. It's way too simple. I'm not going to say it on this show, because you'll have access to a lot of my information. (laughs) And then the other one is the one that... I had to come up with because like my account would get hacked or something. And they're like, you have to come up with a new password. So I came up with a second password whenever I was in college and I used that password too. Uh, now I know though that you hate my password and I know that you know what it is because uh, we have shared accounts on things in the past. I don't think Netflix listens to this. So it's okay to talk about that. And uh, anytime you ask me like, Hey, what's the password for this? And I send it to you. You just like throw the biggest hissy fit ever. <laughs> you have to type it in. Is that the one that's in Spanish? No, that is the password for our Wi-Fi at our, at our house. Okay. It's just one Spanish. Okay. Well, I won't word. say what that is, but it's so annoying. <laughs> that one's terrible. Well, Jay, shout out to my dad. Avid listener of Commute, but man, his passwords are infuriating to me. It's always something insane. Is the account for his power bill? The password is something like, light me up, 4312. (laughs) Is it for an online newspaper subscription? The password's something like, newsy dude, 900. Every password... Play, yes, yes, it plays into what the thing this is. This makes me so Jay, you mad. See, like, I'm so mad He right probably now. has 800 passwords. <laughs> but, Jay, I'm telling you, here's the thing, okay? My dad operates more like we should all operate. And depending on your level of privacy, very few of us do. 
According to security.org, nearly 70% of all Americans, Jay, are kind of like us. They use the same password for everything. And Jay, while we are all tempted to do it because it simplifies our lives, we pay for it, literally. In 2022, the Federal Trade Commission reported that consumers were collectively cheated out of nearly $9 billion due to fraud from passwords being compromised, a 30% increase over the 2021 total. All in all, nearly 2.5 million people reported cases of fraud last year, with millions of others going unreported. And Jay, what's the most important step that someone can take to avoid becoming part of this year's statistic? Change your password. In fact, here are three of the most common mistakes to avoid, according to security experts. Number one, no simple passwords. There are several common mistakes people make with their passwords. For example, using a simple or short password, such as a word or name, a sequence of numbers, or combination of these can be easily guessed by malicious attackers. David Bader, professor and director of the Institute for Data Science at the New Jersey Institute of Technology, told CBS News. And what's the most common password in America, according to Bader? Yep, ABC123. <laughs> but Jay, even that is complicated to what password manager software company NordPass found. In 2022, NordPass found that the most common passwords, like things actually being used, were password, 123456, 12345678, and guest. The number two thing to avoid, repeating passwords. According to SpyCloud, a computer security software provider, an estimated 64% of people have actually reused a password that's previously been compromised in a security hack. I'm part of that 64% for sure. <laughs> this is like putting the same lock on every door in your neighborhood, Bader told CBS. If one is compromised, then the entire group is compromised. Hey, you're not going to take my password from me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care if you drain my bank account. You can take it from my cold, dead hands. And my cold, poor hands is more like <laughs> And Jay, number three, don't share your password. Netflix, as you referenced earlier, the streaming giant that Jay and I definitely do not share a password with, actually used to encourage sharing passwords, but has since started plans to crack down on it. Netflix estimates that over 100 million households currently share login information. And while that feels harmless, it can be risky. But like I said at the top, Jay, things are changing to make things easier for people like me and you who hate changing our passwords. But it also is making us safer. The use of two-factor identification like facial recognition and a login code texted to your cell phone help make it harder to break into someone's account, but also easier than having to constantly retype in a 10-digit password. So, Jay, how about it? Going to change all your passwords finally from Jay's password 111, or are you just <laughs> going to roll the dice? I'm just rolling the dice, man. Yeah, I, might as well. I'm, I've had this password for too long. I can't change my ways now. But I, uh, I got a list a couple of years ago by students in my class where had to make an account on something, and they came, like the school came by and they were like, hey, here's a list of all the student passwords that they made and we just want you to have it just in case any of them get logged out of their account. And 
it's maybe the hardest I've ever laughed at anything while I read their <laughs> passwords. Like, first of all, like out of the 30 students, it was like 15 of them were just password. I mean, like just straight up, like half were password, which was hilarious. But then it was just like, it was like a kid's was just like dragon or something. And then a kid's was like, <laughs> there's tons of like super inappropriate stuff. Like they didn't know I was going to see it. And just like, <laughs> and just like the, like a kid whose name is Brad or something, it would just be like Brad. Like it would just be like his name. And I was just like, we need to teach these kids this stuff because they clearly have no clue like how to make a password. Were any of the uh, kids' passwords about you, like Mr. Sisson's a dork or whatever? <laughs> no, no, I didn't see any. No, it, it could have been in another class, but you know, at least in that class, they were they were safe. If you saw, if you saw it, like let's just say that a student had like Mr. Sisson's. I hate Mr. Sisson's. Let's say that was the password, <laughs> which would be really funny. Would you hold it against the kid? You'd have to. Like, how could you? How could you not? I mean, they're a kid, though. It's not I'm like just an adult. That, but you'd think about every time you handed back a paper, you'd think about it. Like, all right, Jeremy. And that's it. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review commute on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast network. We're on social. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can always say what up at our website, commutethepodcast.com. Music for Commute is provided by my main man, Jason Sammons. For Jason, and I'm Dave Traub. We'll see you next week. I actually had to share a cell phone with my mom. I had to share uh, a cell first. phone. I had to share a cell phone with my sister, so I was there. That's too. worse. That's well, actually. I don't know. I don't know which one's worse. But like, people call and I'd answer hello because you know I was like fourteen. Hello, Jane. Like, no, <laughs> it was like, oh well, my sister's going to sleep over tonight. She's taking the cell phone. Like that's how it was used. I think I, I finally exerted like some dominance when I changed the voicemail to say it was my phone, not hers. <laughs> Genius move. I wish we could find that old phone, by the way. I'd love to hear that voicemail message. Hey, you've called Dave's phone. This is definitely not my mom. <laughs> this is definitely my own phone, and my mom never, ever checks it.